Chapter number 10, if you will. We're going to find where I left off last time and uh, get hopefully wrap this end of this section up. We're, we're here in Romans 10, and uh, we're at verse 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. So let's just read the verses so we get them in our thinking, and then uh, we're going to jump back in, and uh, we're at the end. So verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth in the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the, Lord, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, this passage, really 9 to 13, is a passage of great confusion, great misuse, great abuse, actually, because it is used to say that it is the formula for justification today in the age of grace. And uh, as we've been through this, I'm telling you it is not. <laughs> and actually, it has nothing to do with justification, period, for the Jew or for the Gentile. It rather has to do with what's happening in the nation of Israel. Now, we've been over, this is lesson, I don't remember now, 111 or 112 or 110 or something like that, 111. And the last four lessons, we've been in chapter 10 here, and I've told you over and over and over and over and over again, the context is Israel. The context is Jewish. This has nothing to do, Paul covered the issues of justification in chapter 1 to 5. So for an unbelieving Jew to get saved, what do they need to hear? Chapter 1 to 5, okay? They don't need chapter 10. Chapter 10 says, here's my, Paul's ministry. Here's what I'm doing in the Acts period. Here's what I'm doing. So we're, if he's talking about what Paul's going to do here in the Acts period, then what dispensation are we in? <laughs> the age of grace, the dispensation of grace. We're not in... We're not talking about Israel getting saved here. I know 10.1, what does it say? My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. But again, saved how? See, that's the question here. Because what's happening in chapter 10, we, when we looked last time, and I don't want to repeat ourselves over and over again because I'd like to move on, but saved from what? From how? This is not talking about salvation unto eternal life, not even for the Jews. And I'm saying that because there's a little misunderstanding, I think, in some of this. Even in the end of verse 9, look at verse 9. And shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. See, that's justification, Rick. No, it's not in the context. Okay? Is that Paul's gospel? It is. And that, by the way, that's where we're going to pick up is with the and. So we'll, I'm, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, so let's back up, rewind our thinking here. Saved how? Saved from what? Well, obviously it's not chapter eleven twenty six talking about the future. He's talking about right now. What is Israel's problem? Unbelief. That's their problem. When Paul, as his manner is, goes into the synagogue. Who's in the synagogue? You have to remember this. Wednesday night... <laughs> Wednesday night we had our Mark study, 
And then we had another hour and a half of Q&A afterward. And you have to, Bible study is taking this and this, putting it together, and then remembering that you put it together. That's Bible study. Because what happens is, is we put it together, then we get over here, and we forgot we've already put this together, so we're getting over here in other things, and it's like, wait a minute, these other things, you pull that puzzle pieces and put these together. And that's what I'm trying to do with you in our understanding here, because these verses get abused. They show up on almost every gospel track out there, and it has nothing to do with justification. It has to do with, here's what I'm doing, Paul's doing in the Acts ministry as he goes into the synagogue. Who's in the synagogue? Unbelieving Jews. That's who's there. The believing remnant, the little flock, are over here. They're scattered abroad. They've run. They're running for their lives. They're not in the synagogue. Because what's in the synagogue? That apostate nation, that untoward generation that Peter warns them in Acts 2 to come out of, to get out of. So the little flock would not be in the synagogue. They wouldn't be there. They've been told not to go there. They've been told to go the other direction. So when you come into this and you can, again, put, put the two together and rem remind yourself, verse 9, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. We talked about confessing. By the way, confessing is not a profession. Professing something is an outward external confessing is something internal that you acknowledge and that's what they're doing here now again christianity religion out there says what no you must profess i.e confess and you got to say the right phrases in the right order in the right meter in the right poem in the right time and then you're good to go well what part of romans 4 5 to him that worketh not but what believeth is missing is it's all through that you never had to work a day in your life for your salvation but yet they use this to do what to say you've got to work to get saved work to stay saved because now we're going to have testimony time this morning and if you don't get up in testimony time and give a testimony of how wonderful the lord is working in your life this week then you then he's just not working in your life so you don't have enough, you know, so they just run that rabbit hole here with you. And Paul is, not, Paul is like, no, here's what I've been doing with the nation of Israel. Again, apostate nation. I told you last time we looked at that issue of salvation. Israel has a package deal. They got a group of things. There's some, anywhere from anywhere from 9 to 11 things that happen in their salvation. And I put that in quotes on purpose. They don't think about have, obtaining eternal life in the moment as a present possession. They look at it as a future event in the coming kingdom. But yet justified would have what? They're there. That's why in Matthew, when he, in the Gospels, when he says, if you will endure to the end, those that endure to the end shall be what? Save, but saved from what? Saved how? It's not justification. And what happens is... is us dumb thump Christians instantly read that word saved and think about justification. And in Israel's program, it, that was not the case. 
they had to be a physical descendant, yes, but they also had to be born again. They had to have the spiritual component, does that little flock. So when you come into this, again, confessing here is not a formula for eternal life. Rather, it's a description of what Paul, in, Acts, in his ministry in Acts 9 to 28, was doing, was presenting to Israel when he would go in and he would take the scriptures and reason with them and prove that, Christ, that Jesus was who? The very Christ. So what's he doing there? He's saying, look, Deuteronomy 30, verse 8, by the way, verse 9 comes, is, is an explanation of verse 8, Deuteronomy 30. What did they have? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, which is the word of faith, which we preach. They have the word, they have the testimony, and what do they not have? They don't believe it. That's why the Lord would look at the nation of Israel as a whole and say, have ye not read? Don't you know the scriptures? Haven't you searched the scriptures? You should have known this. You have the oracles of God. You have the advantage. That's why Paul, earlier in Romans, we, we looked at this in Romans 3 when he says, to the Jew first, in Romans 1, to the Jew first, and then to the Greek. Why go to the Jew first? Because they have the word of God. When he shows up to preach the word of God and to use their scriptures, who would be more familiar with them? The Jew or the Gentile? The Jew. Now, the Gentile, he's got a little bit more dealing with. So I'm trying to, I'm coming in hot and heavy because I got to get you out of that thought of, hey, this is a formula for the preaching and the justification, the gospel. No, it's not. There, Paul is not giving Israel the gospel here. He's establishing what he's doing in his Acts ministry in that diminishing away. What did he do when he went in to the synagogue? He preached that Christ, the guy you just killed, is the Christ. He was the Messiah. And now he's doing something different. You follow? Good review? Acts 13. I don't, tr I don't believe you. All right? Look at Acts 13. Because I'll be honest with you, we were talking about this we're talking about chapter 11, which we're not there yet on Wednesday night. You ask 10 different grace preachers about chapter 11 and the grafting in, you'll get 10 different answers. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you another, another idea about it that usually doesn't fly through in some of this because they make it, there's a simplicity in Christ. This stuff is not hard, folks. The hard part's believing it. And leaving it where it sits on the page, the context. Look at Acts 13. Acts 13, uh, verse 16. The first recorded message by Paul in the book of Acts by Luke. Okay, now Paul's been preaching since chapter 9. He's been out doing. But here's Luke's finally with him and writes the message. Then Paul stood up and beckoned with his hand, said, Men of who? Who's he talking to? Men of Israel, and ye that fear God. So he's talking to who? Gentiles too. He's talking to both groups of people as he stands there at Antioch and Pisidia. And they, verse 16, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and sat down. He goes in and he's talking to a mixed multitude audience because now the word has gotten out that Paul's been talking to the Gentiles. 
He says, verse 17, the God of this people of Israel chose our fathers. And he begins a dissertation of Israel's history. And he talks about Moses and coming out of Egypt and four year, 40 years in the wandering. And then he goes down and he talks about uh, Samuel. And then he talks about uh, David. And then verse 24, when John at fir- uh, verse 23, of this man's seed hath God according to his promise raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Notice how, real quickly, where did he end up? Acts 13. Where did he end up? On Christ. He went, he didn't, he goes, hey, remember all this? Now, here's where we were headed. But to who? Israel's Messiah. When John first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all people. And as John fulfilled his course, notice what, now we're in John. And now the Lord, or Paul spends time speak, talking about the Savior. Look over at verse, uh, well, 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, and that's talking about the Lord, Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Do you see a switch there? There's justification. What Paul does do? He says, hey, the, guy, the man Jesus, he was Israel's Messiah and Israel's Savior. And now through me and my ministry, he's the Savior of who? All men that believe. Now, what did Paul just do? What's Acts 10 say? He's in there confronting Israel. You guys have to acknowledge who Christ was. Who was he? Israel's Savior, Israel's Messiah. See that? That's what he's doing in Romans 10. Now, in Acts 13, well, what's the next step? Here's my gospel, Paul's gospel. You follow that? That's what's happening in Acts 10, the first part of that. In Acts, I'm sorry, Romans 10. Go to Romans 10. Romans 10, he's not giving his gospel. Yeah, but Rick, the rest of verse 9 says his gospel. But it's not being presented that way. See, the presentation here, yes, Christ died for his sins, but Peter preached the same message, that Christ died and was risen. Look at, look at verse, verse uh, 9. Now we're going to pick up at the end, okay? 45 minutes to finish the chapter, <laughs> the Genesis section. Look at verse 9. And shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Notice there's no raised from your dead for your sins. Notice the sin thing is not listed. It's not talked about because that's not his push. His push is that they have to recognize that the man that they killed, that God raised up, was who? Christ, was Jesus Christ, was the Messiah. That's who they have to confess. Notice they're confessing with thy mouth the who? The Lord Jesus Christ, they have to acknowledge who Christ is. And that God the Father did what with him? Raised him from the dead. There's missing components in Paul's gospel there. That's why it's not his gospel. It's his, this is what Israel is lacking. Here's their their problem. By the way, look across the page at verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by 
the Word of God. Now, we use that in a positive manner, don't we? But in the context, it's a negative thing. It's a negative. It's a rebuke. It's an indictment against Israel. Because why? Because verse 8, you had the Word. You had it in your mouth. You had it in your heart. You had it in your lips. You memorized it. You could say it or you could recite it, but you didn't believe it. The Lord looks at them and says, you guys read Moses? Moses talked about me. If you believe Moses, you'd believe me, but you don't. Then he goes over and goes, you, you, you talk about Abraham? Abraham talked about me. But you didn't believe Abraham, so you don't believe me. Because if you believed Abraham, you'd believe me. We looked there in Luke 24. What did the, the, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets all talked about who? Him. Lo, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And you didn't believe it. You rejected the Old Testament. You've rejected the earthly ministry of Christ. And now, by the way, you rejected Peter and the little flock in their Acts ministry in 1 to 7 there. And now you're rejecting me. That's what Paul's doing in Romans 10. Your unbelief has got you. That's why you're still stumbling, Israel. Verse 14 to 21 you're without excuse. Why? Unbelief. You, you get the, I hope you feel the point. I hope you get that point. Then he says, the rest of the verse here, he talks about the resurrection. And God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Again, saved from what? Saved from that apostate nation because if they, look at Acts 2. This resurrection thing is what sealed it for me when I was studying this out. Look at Acts 2. Because the resurrection of Christ is one of those transdispensational truths. But it's going to be presented in, a, in, the, in, the, in the, where it sits on the dispensational timeline. Where are we in Acts 2? Look at verse 1. Where are we? And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with one accord in one place. So where are we? We're 50 days after the Passover. We're 50 days after the crucifixion event is done. The Lord in chapter 1 has ascended into heaven. Who's going to stand and speak now? Verse, 16, verse uh, 14. But Peter standing up. So who's Peter? He's the leader of the little flock. He's the, this is little flock territory. Now watch what Peter does. Verse 22. Ye men... Of Israel, hear these words. So, so again, who's he talking to? He ain't talking to the Gentile. The Gentile's not in the audience. Now, they be, may be milling around. I'm not going to count them out. But he ain't talking to them. He's talking to who? Israel. By the way, he just proved in the chapter that he's talking to the known world. Verse 8, 9, and 10, and 11. So all of the known world is there. He's speaking in tongues so that all, they all can understand him. He's just debated that out with them. And he says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. In other words, he did everything the Old Testament said he was going to do. 
which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden. How does Peter preach the resurrection of Christ? How does he preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Good thing or bad thing? Bad. It's a wicked, you wickedly killed him. You see that? Look over, look down at verse uh, 30. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with him an oath and of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. So the resurrection of Christ has to do with him doing what now? Sitting on a throne. See that? So the resurrection has, a, has components to it here in, in Peter. He's seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, quote Psalm 16, Psalms 132, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. See, this Jesus, the guy you just killed 50 days ago, is who? The Messiah. He's the son of God. You by wicked hands killed him. Verse 36, therefore let all the, let all the house of Israel know, I love that word, without a shadow of a doubt. You know what you need to know? Verse 36, that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified. Both what? Lord and Christ. Lord. Back up there, verse 20, he's the judge. Christ, verse 30, he's the Savior. See, he's the one, guys. Now, look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were what? Pricked in their heart. They came under some conviction. Some in the audience said what? What do we do? Oh, my goodness, you're right. They heard the profession of who he was. And what did they do? Well, they're going to repent, they're going to change their mind about who they just slew, and they're going to go get baptized and get the Holy Spirit and do the rest of that verse. But what did they do? They acknowledged, confessed who Christ was. They understood who he was. So Peter does what with them? Verse 40 or the end of, yeah, verse 40, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, what? Save yourselves. How? Finish the verse. From this untoward generation. Nothing about going into a kingdom eternally. That's coming later. Nothing about going to heaven Just save yourself. Again, part of that package is getting out of that apostate nation. What's fascinating is the end of verse 41, there says there was 3,000 souls that trusted that message that day. This is a megachurch growing quickly, daily, not yearly. (laughs) This thing's moving. 3,000 on the Friday. I remember I read a guy, yeah, we started with 20 and now we're 10,000 and it took us 15 years to get there. I'm like, dude, it took him one day and he's there already, half of that. You know, that just, it's crazy, right? But see, the thing is, is again, how does Peter preach the resurrection? Bad, negative. Chapter 3, 
You'd think that would be it. He got his point across. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this, the, the, the healing of, of, of the guy outside the temple there, the, the lame man? Or why marvel ye at this? Or why look so earnestly on us as though we, be, though we by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, which glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murder to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are. Boy, they killed the Prince of Life. That's not a positive thing to justification unto eternal life. That's a negative thing. Chapter 4. You start there in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and the elders. Notice who he's talking to, by the way. He's not talking to the average Joe on the street. He's talking to the leaders, the ones who should have known better. I, would, I will give you an idea, and you can mull it around. Paul, is, as Saul of Tarsus, is in this audience. I believe that Saul, of Tar Saul, our apostle Paul, but Saul of Tarsus was sitting there. He learned at Gamaliel's feet, the University of Gamaliel. He was present in the trial room of the Savior. He's there. He knows what's going on. He's listening. Verse 10, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by... Isn't that interesting? He just nailing them. By the way, he'll use the name Jesus of Nazareth. The name, the name. What's 10.9 say? You can confess the name, the Lord Jesus. Come over to chapter 5. I just, this is just fascinating. And I'm going to be honest with you, folks, this is pretty clear. It's in the text. Who's doing the talking? Peter is. Verse 29, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. <laughs> oh, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That has nothing to do with Paul. But notice what he keeps digging on him. You hung him, you crucified him, you killed him. Actually, if you come over to chapter 7, even Stephen, 51, 751, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Look at Stephen even digging them. So when he comes in 10.9 and he says, and the resurrection issue is there, Paul's not talking about his gospel. He's talking about a message about who, what proves that Jesus of Nazareth is the son of the living God. The resurrection does. If you're going to con acknowledge, confess who Christ is, the resurrection is what puts the cap on the bottle. It's done. Peter says so. Paul, come over to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says the same thing. 1 Corinthians 15. The whole chapter of 15 is about the resurrection of the dead. It's 
very fascinating how people get this all chewed up and so forth. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 11. Therefore, whether it were I, okay, who's the I? Paul or they? Who would be the they? Peter, Israel, the little flock, right? Well, okay, if, if you don't believe that, look back up at verse 5. And that he was seen of who? Cephas, who's that? Peter, then of the twelve. So who saw him resurrected? The little flock did. Verse 7, after he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. So there's the they. Verse 11, so we preach. And so ye believed. The we preached. What did they preach? That Christ did what? Rose from the dead. We just looked at Peter. What's Peter saying constantly? Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, Acts 5. There's even a reference in Acts 6, Acts 7. Little reference in Acts 6. But what did that little flock preach? You guys with murderous hands killed him and then God the Father raised him up. What's Paul preaching? What's verse 3 and 4 say? Come on. Same thing. Paul says, hey, look, doesn't matter which side of the argument, of the dividing line you're on, we all preach that Christ did what? Rose from the dead the third day. And that proves that he is the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer. He is the Son of the living God. Verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached, now watch. That he rose from the dead. That's what we preach in verse 11 is all about. Not about he died and rose again for your sins and for your eternal justification. That comes later. The goal in chapter 15 is to prove the resurrection issue is a settled issue. It has Romans 1 to 5 deals with your justification, deals with all man's justification in the age of grace. Romans 15 doesn't do that. Romans 15 says, we believe that what? Well, what's verse 3 say? For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for his sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. What do we believe? We believe that, don't we? What 15 then does is it answers the question, how, verse 12, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? That's the question that chapter 15 answers. What did Peter preach about? Now go back, go over to Galatians 6. I give you one verse. You see, folks, Paul is not talking about his gospel. He's talking about verifying and proving that the Lord Jesus Christ is who he said he was. That's all he's doing here. He's not saying, you've got to believe my gospel. That's coming. Okay? He's already done that. Romans 1 to 3. Oh, man. Galatians 6. Let's just get back here. Rewind the mind. You see, you've got to put all this together. You can't take it in chunks and not connect it. Oh, can we go for like two hours just so I you know, get this? this? Because it is so critical to your understanding. Galatians 6, look at verse 14. 
Remember, what did Peter say? By wicked hands, you, cru- you crucified. Watch, watch 614. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where does Paul say he glories now? In that event that Peter to Israel says, it's an indictment, you killed the Messiah, Paul says, you know what? I get everything because of Calvary. I'm going to glory in Calvary. I'm, so the death, burial, and resurrection in Paul's message and ministry is a positive thing. It's a good thing, see? It's not a negative thing. It's not the same thing Peter was preaching. Paul says, nope. Now go back to Romans 10. You see, all right, Romans 10. So much to say and so little time. <laughs> because th- this, it just, I don't want you to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes along that says Peter and Paul were preaching the same message when they are not. And it's clear by Peter's own mouth, own testimony, says we're not. Paul, in his testimony, says we're not. And to say that we are is to ignore the testimony of the Word of God that says differently. And that's dangerous for you, for me, for all of us. And it needs to be marked and avoided. Romans 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead... Thou shalt be saved. And again, saved from what? Not eternal life, but from that apostate nation. Get out of that Christ-rejecting nation. And come over here and be a part of the church, the body of Christ. Because he's not talking to the little flock. He's talking to that unbelieving element in Israel. And I think we've proven that over sufficiently. If you still struggle with it, you can see me afterwards and we'll make a, an appointment because it's going to take more than 20 minutes to get through with you. Okay? Verse 10. By the way, verse 9 isn't the gospel. Rather, it's the very fact that, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that's what he's after. Paul talks about the resurrection of the dead In the book of Acts, if I counted right, 17 times. It's actually what gets, one of the things that gets him in trouble. 17 times, if I counted right, he's pressing the issue that the Messiah of Israel is the the guy that resurrected, and now the Savior of all men is the same guy. Because he's to die how many times? One time. And the issue of the resurrection of Christ, who he said he was, is the issue. Now in verse 9, Paul, believe in thine heart that he did what? That he is who he said he is. So then let's look at verse 10. Because what does verse 10 say? For with the heart man believes unto Righteousness. By the way, there's justification. How do you get his righteousness? You believe in the finished cross work 
the finished work of Christ. That's what Romans 1 to 5 has already established. That should not be a question. But the heart here, the heart, that's not the organ. That's going boom, 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 or boom, 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 in my case right now. You know, okay. You guys don't, you, I make this look easy, but there's still wet fingers and, and butterflies, okay, always. I know I make it look good and look easy, but th- anyway, I'm just, just kidding. I got to lighten the room up here a little bit. You guys little, okay. But rather, the heart here, that's the functioning of the soul. That's where real faith resides. And again, that's the problem in Israel is that issue of no faith, unbelief. So when you re, when we re, um, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation again. Salvation. <laughs> What's the context? Who's the context? Is Israel, and it's them not being justified, but them coming out of that uh, that apostate nation, that unbelieving nation. And you know what Paul's telling them? Quit going to the synagogue. You keep going down to that synagogue in and, and Acts 9 to 28, and all you're doing is staying in the, bad, in the bad religion. Get out of that religion. He says over there in 1 Corinthians 6, put off, what, what concord, what agreement, what fellowship hath the body with Baal worship, the vain religious system. Get out, come out from that. That's all he's saying here. What are you doing down there? Get out of that mess. But I want you to notice something. Again, verse 9 answers verse 8. Verse 10 is going to deal now with verse 9. But notice something. Notice the order in verse 9. Thou shalt confess with thy, what? Mouth, and believe with thy heart. Okay? Now look in verse 10. Notice that the order is reversed. For the heart man believes, and with the mouth confession is made. By, by the way, uh, let me say this in case I don't say it a minute ago. Mouth, heart, confession, all of those are figures of speech that describe the functioning of what the soul is doing here. Okay? It is not a verbal profession. Again, a profession is an external thing. A confession is an internal acknowledgement of something. So these are figures of speech here, describing the functioning of the soul. Because with the heart, man does what? Believes unto righteousness. Out of the heart proceeds the issues of life. Out of the heart come the things that drive man. Proverbs says, it's, it's a functionality of the soul. So the question then is, is go back in here, why the switch? Why does Paul switch up the order in, from verse 9 and verse 10? Well, verse 8 is a, I'm sorry, verse 9 is an application of what verse? Verse 8. And what does verse 8 say? The word is nigh even in thy what? Mouth and in thine heart. So, hey, you want to understand verse 8, Deuteronomy 30. He quotes, by the way, there. We've looked at that. He says, okay, this is what that's going to talk about. And in verse 10, he's explaining verse 9, and he starts with the word heart because heart, that's where true faith is. And what do they lack in verse 9? True faith of who Christ is. So the switch, drop to verse 13. 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, man, that verse. Holy cow. That verse is quoted by Paul and Peter. But it's a quote of Joel 2. And Paul quotes Joel 2, not, in a, not saying that what's happening right now is a fulfillment of Joel 2, but rather in a different manner here. So you've got an issue here that Paul is driving home. Verse 11, for the scripture saith, here's Isaiah 28, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. If you look back at chapter 9, verse 33, the end of that verse, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. He quotes Isaiah 28 twice. The con- it's very Jewish, folks. I told you that when we started the chapter. Heart, believeth. Verse 10, confess. Verse 10, believe, confess. Verse 11, believe. Verse 12, for there is no difference uh, between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that what? Call upon. Let me ask you something. In the moment of your justification, did you call out to the Lord? Well, religion would say you have to do what? Physically do that. But you know that's a work? Well, Rick, it's an outward expression of an inward faith. Do you know who said that originally? The Lord Jesus Christ did to the Pharisees in a big argument. How do, what did you do? What did you believe? What does Romans 1 to 5 say? (laughs) What does Romans 4 to 5 say to him that, Worketh not. No physical activity. That's why when I give the gospel here, I say you don't have to walk the aisle. We don't have a baptismal. We don't have that. Why? Because it's working. It makes you feel a part of the situation. And you're not a part of the situation. The only part of you that's a part of the situation is your inner man, your soul, your heart. Because what are you going to do? You're going to believe that you need the Savior and so forth. So verse 9 is an application of verse 8, and verse 10 is an explanation of verse 9. And again, the heart and the mouth are figures of speech that describe what the soul is doing. Because that's where man, that's where those, those decisions are made. Not in the body flailing, but in the heart. I hope you catch that. Verse 10 or verse 12 for there is what look at that no difference between the jew and the greek isn't that amazing what a wonderful verse there's no difference between the jew and the greek for the same lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him first of all let's oh romans 3 let's go back there stay on course Rick. romans 3 get romans 3 and 1 Thessalonians, make it 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2. Romans 3, 2 Thessalonians. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Let's, let's do, deal with that call thing real quick. Because this is where the Calvinistic idea gets in, that before the foundation of the world, God has laid out that you will be one of the elect, i.e. the saved ones, 
and there's going to be a call one day. You're going to automatically respond to it positively, and off you wonderfully go in happy, happy Neverland, as long as you toe the line and stay where you're at. As soon as you drift one way or not, you lost it. So really the question is, well, was I really one of the elect to begin with or not, you know? Right, 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 right. Okay? Now, and now, if you're not confused, I can keep going, and I can confuse you even more. But look at 2 Thessalonians 2. Look at verse 14. Just jumping in here. Where, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. Whereunto he called you by what? Our gospel. So in 10, 12, when he says, unto all that call upon him, how are you called? Hey, Lord, come on in my heart. Believe in, pray in the sinner's prayer. What does he want to do with your dirty old heart? No, how are you called? By the gospel. What do you hear? You're a sinner. You need a savior. There's a sentence for your sin. It's called hell and the lake of fire and the second death. Yeah. What does the savior say? I've paid that. I've taken care of that. Just believe me. Trust me. And there's your, the object of your faith, not that you have faith, but the object is what's valuable. Now go to Romans 3, because Paul has already laid this out. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Why? Well, the same Lord is rich over all, to, unto all of them who are what? Who call upon, who are there listening to the gospel and trusting him. But look at Romans 3, look at verse number 9. What then? Are we, that's the Jew, better than they, the Gentile? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jew and Gentiles that they are all what? When he says there's no difference, 10-12, what's he saying? They're all sinners. We've already established the fact. See, 12 is just a repeat of 1 to 5. We've already established the fact that there's what? There's no difference. They're all what? Sinners. Verse 22, 322, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Again, there's no difference. Everyone in the age of grace is what? A sinner. Now, you ought to spend some time sometime and read at how the Jews look at this issue of being a sinner. They don't think they are sinners. They look at the Lord. Come over to Acts 15. They look at the Lord and say, why does he eat with publicans and sinners? Galatians chapter 3, Paul, when he rebukes Peter, he says, we, we are this and the sinners of the gent over there. You know, they, there's a separate issue there. They, don't, they never think they're, they're sinners. They think they're, they're, the, they're the best, you know, they're, they're the best thing since sliced bread. They're it. They're the cat's meow. What has Paul proven? One to five. Boom. All sinner. Acts 15. Watch Peter. Look at Acts 15. Look at verse 7. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. There's Acts 10. What's going on in Acts 10 with Cornelius? What gospel is Peter preaching? The works of righteousness gospel. 
Paul says, Titus 3, not by works of righteousness. Peter says, you want to get in, Cornelius, you've got to have the works of righteousness. It's clear. It's in the verse. And God, verse 8, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. You know what happened at Cornelius? They got the Holy Ghost before they got baptized. They got the Holy Ghost. They spoke in tongues. And then Peter looks around to the little flock says, we should baptize these guys because something's not right here. This order's all out of whack. And they're like, yeah, well, we need to do it. Do it quick. Run the bathwater. Get in there, you know. Why? Because that's their program. But watch verse 10, or verse 9. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. What did Peter just say? There's what? There's no difference. The question then is, how does Peter know that? Galatians 2 tells you how Peter knows that. What happened in Galatians 2? By the way, before you leave Acts 7 and go to Galatians 2, Acts 15 here, in verse 7, you ought to have written by there Galatians 2. <laughs> because when he says, when there had been much disputing, now you go to Galatians 2 and you see behind closed doors what was happening in the disputing. The disputing and the argument in the room. This is Luke in Acts 15. He's sitting in the room. Paul says, here's what happened behind closed doors, Acts 2, 2. I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among them, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. You know what happened? When the much disputing was going on in Acts 15, 7, 1 to 7 there, Peter and the guys went, go into to a closed session with Paul, and you know what Paul does? He lays out his ministry. Peter then comes back out and addresses a group, and you know what he says? There's now, there's no difference, and I understand this because of that guy right there, Paul, and his ministry. And I now understand why in Acts 10 I did what I had to do because the Lord was teaching me there's a change in the program, and things are changing, Peter. And you need to, and Paul comes in, that's why he says down there in verse 9, they perceived the grace, they got it. All right, go back to Romans 10. <clears throat> Have I lost any of you yet? <laughs> Excluding Paul on the front row down here? No. Okay. Look at Romans 10. So when he says there is no difference, verse 12, between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, no difference. Why? What's Paul's message? All are, all mankind are sinners. Uh, go back there to Galatians 2. Look at 2.15. I said this a minute ago. Galatians 2, verse 15. We, now, this is Paul talking to Peter, withstanding Peter. Peter's been sitting with the Gentiles eating lunch. The religious crowd of the Jews shows up. He withdraws himself from the Gentiles. Peter, Paul is openly in front of everybody rebuking Peter. Okay? And there's a lot of reasons why, but he's doing that. Verse 15. We who are Jews by nature 
and what? Not sinners of the Gentiles. In the Jews' thought, a sinner is a reference to someone who lived unworthily or ungodly and was not a part of the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob genealogy. That, that Pharisee looks at that publican in the, in, the, in, the, in the temple, and he says, Lord, don't look at me like that guy over there, that sinner. What's he doing? He's a publican. He lives unworthily. He lives ungodly. And he should be stripped of his rights. But yet, what did God say? No, he goes home justified. You're going to hell. Anyway, go back to Romans 10. A lot of stuff floating through this. All right, I got five minutes to do this last verse. Good luck, right? We can do it. Romans 10, verse 13. Paul quotes Joel 2. So go get Joel 2. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. If Joel was here, he would hum. Joel 2. And the quote is verse 32. Again, why does Paul quote Joel 2, 32? Well, again, Romans 10, what's the context? Israel, it's Jewish. And what Paul's really quoting, why Paul's quoting Joel 2, is he's saying to Israel, he's reminding Israel, no matter, no matter your failure to believe, no matter the interruption of the program, no matter God setting you aside and diminishing you away, regardless of all of that, the Jew can still be saved, justified in the new program. Okay? No matter what's going on here, no matter what, what is happening, Israel, you still have an opportunity to get saved. You still have an opportunity to come out of that untoward generation and become a member of the church, the body of Christ. You still have an opportunity, Israel, to come over here and be where you're supposed to be. Making of twain, the Jew and the Gentile, the one new man. Making that happen. All right? Now look at Joel 2.32 quickly. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be, what? Delivered. Now, that's what the word saved means, to be delivered. But to be delivered from what? That's the, always the question. In Joel 2, he's talking about the tribulation. He's talking about the day of the Lord. Uh, verse uh, 2 continues. For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now, that's the quote. Now, Peter is going to quote it in Acts 2. So come on over to Acts 2. Acts 2. So Joel is talking to the little flock. He's talking to the nation of Israel. As that nation is getting ready to go into Pentecost, and as then they are ready to go through the tribulation into the kingdom. Okay? You with me? That's what's happening in the book of Joel. We're going to talk about Pentecost, then we're going to talk about the trib, and then we'll have a little ver couple verses on the kingdom. 
Now look at Acts 2, by the way. Oops, helps if I get there. Look at verse 14, 16. For this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he's going to quote Joel 2, verse 27 to 32. Down, look down at verse 19. Because here's where we're at in Joel 2, 32. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. There's the tribulation. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. What day is that? That's the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel. Now look at verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, 2.32 says that there's going to be a remnant that's going to be saved, that believing element. So Peter quotes Joel 2 in what context? Pentecost and the 70th week of Daniel. Follow that? And what's going to happen at the conclusion of the 70th week of Daniel? There's going to be a kingdom salvation. Okay? Now look at Romans 10. And Paul. When Paul quotes in Romans 10, Joel 2.32, what is the context? It's Jewish again, isn't it? Yes. But it has nothing to do with Pentecost and the 70th week and the coming kingdom. It has to do with what? Their unbelief. Their failure to acknowledge who Jesus Christ was, the fact that he was raised from the dead, they deny and they're persecuting the guy who's holding back the wrath. The guy who's got the message, the ministry that's holding back the wrath. Now look at 2.10. I'm sorry, 10.12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul quotes Joel 2, by the way, completely out of its context. What's Joel 2's context? Pentecost. 70th trib, kingdom. Paul's not talking about any of that, yet he quotes Joel 2. Why? Israel, you have a renewed opportunity under the new program. In other words, no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Everybody's on equal footing. You're all sinners. Hello, Jewish sinner. That's you. You can still come to God. What would the Jew think God's attitude toward them would be? Wrath, judgment. That's what their program called for. He, he gives them that parable of, oh, man, he gives them, it's time to quit. He gives them that parable of the, of the nobleman going off, and he leaves the vineyard, and they kill the son. And he says, hey, what, what do you think ought to happen to those guys? And he says, well, when the Lord comes back, he's going to kill them all. And the Lord goes, yep, that's what we're going to do. And then they, the verses, they perceive that he was talking of them. <laughs> then he says, I'm going to take it away from you, and I'm going to give it to a nation. You see, that's what the Jew would think. So when here Paul shows up and says, look, you're set aside. You've been accursed. You've, you've been over here doing this, and you've got to have this. You've got no faith. You know, this. What would go through their minds? Oh, my goodness, wrath. It's judgment time. It's Joel 2 time. And he quotes Joel 2, and he's not quoting it to say it's wrath time. Rather, it's what? An extension of grace, mercy, long-suffering, peace. Here you got an opportunity. Okay? 
A lot going on here. That's why people get this thing confused. Confession is not a profession. A profession is a public statement. This is a confession. It's, a, it's inside. It's an agreement. It's a heart calling here. And again, if you can remember that the mouth and the heart and all of this are figures of speech describing what's going on in the inner man, what's happening to that Jewish inner man, he's an unbelief. And, and Paul's pressing that point. Now, I had a question just real quick, if you give me three minutes, last week. This is Paul describing his Acts ministry, 9 to 28. But who is Paul writing to? The Romans, the Gentiles, the church, the body of Christ. Yes, he is. It's in Romans. It's our book. So why is he dealing the way he's dealing? He's doing this so that when he gets to Romans 12 and he talks about service and living the grace life, you do it with the proper motivation not with the motivation of thinking you are spiritual Israel. Because you're not spiritual Israel. Who are you? You are body of Christ. Because spiritual Israel is not on the pages of chapter 9, 10, and 11. Who's on the pages of chapter 9, 10, and 11? Unbelieving Israel. Follow that? That's why he's doing, that's why Paul's writing. It's in Romans. It's not stuck over at the back end of Galatians. <laughs> it's here as one of those four foundations because what happens here in Christianity today, Christendom, they make us what? Spiritual Israel, and they put the Gentile into these passages. And what happens? Now when we get over into the service stuff and doing and living under grace, we're doing it not out of a motivation of gratitude and thankfulness for who, we, who he's made us in Christ, but rather of a, hey, we get the kingdom. You follow that? So that's some of it. We're, and when we get into, we're going to start in verse 14 and finish the chapter. And when we get into chapter 11, you'll see that more clearly as we go, okay? Especially when we talk about the grafting in thing. There's a reason why he talks the way he talks. And it is to protect you and I from saying, come over to Colossians uh, uh, 2. Just uh, these verses, okay, Colossians 2. So the question's a good question, actually, that I had last week after the morning because it's, it's important to understand why is Paul writing this in Romans <laughs> 9, 10, and 11, why isn't it just stuck over at the end of Philemon or something? Why? Because Christian, Christendom, Christianity, religion says, you guys are spiritual Israel, and here's why, because Romans 9, 10, and 11 is talking about you, and it's not. It's talking about his Acts ministry. Look at Colossians 2, verse 16 and 17. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or the Sabbath days. All that's religious holidays. Did you guys see the Ash Wednesday stuff? Wednesday with the big old marks and everything. I wish somebody had told our governor to kind of wipe some of it off. He was pretty prominent. But anyway, look at verse 16. Let no man therefore, uh, I'm sorry, verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come. All of that religious ceremony stuff, Colossians 2.17, it's just a shadow. A shadow is not the real deal. 
The shadow's a fake. It's an it's a imitation. But what? But the body is of who? Is of Christ. And that's what Paul's getting at in Romans 9, 10, and 11. One of the underlining themes is, is you're not Israel body. You're body body. That's who you are. Okay? All right. Thank you for the five minutes to kind of answer that question. Because I know others have that, and it does come up, and it's a legitimate thing. And as we move into Romans 11, we'll answer that more uh, more, hopefully more clearly. And if I don't, just ask, say, hey, you said, let's go, and we'll do it some more, okay? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. I thank you for the patience of the folks here as we look at this passage and as we go down through it and uh, hopefully provoke some thought and some thinking into it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's be back.